Okay, this is our weekly Tanya class. We've been going through meditations of Tanya primarily in chapters 41 through 50. Last week we did a, medit- a meditation from chapter 44. There was another meditation from chapter 44, but I kind of mentioned it already and I'm not going to go back to it, but you can rewatch that class if you so desire. We're going to do. What? It was a fun class last week. Yeah, it was a lot, yeah. Yeah. Okay, chapter 45 is one of the shorter chapters of Tanya. And I think what I'm going to do is just read straight through it. I mean, read it and translate it and with minimal explanation. And then go back and do the meditation. Okay? All right. And before we begin... Okay, so just a little review. The purpose of what we call Hizboinanos which we're translating here as meditation. Well, first of all, let me back up even before that. Hisbaininus is an activity that you do in your own head. We're calling it meditation. What is the goal, the desired target outcome of the hisbaininus? Producing emotion. Producing an emotion. Great. What are our two categories of emotions? Main Love and awe. Avava you. Great. Okay. And then various grades and offshoots and levels, and it gets pretty uh, detailed from there. But the two main emotions are love and awe. Love is the emotion that drives me to approach and get closer to my beloved. Awe is the emotion that drives me back to shrink in a feeling of reverence or overwhelm. Today's meditation is a love meditation. It is meant to produce love. However, it's a little bit tricky before we start. So you may know spherotically that love and awe are right and left, the right and left axes in the spheroids that is chesed and gvura. Okay, but you're probably also familiar with the idea of the center axis and that emotionally, on the emotional plane, when you have chesed, which is kindness and is the source of love, and you have gvoda, which is severity, which is a source of awe, and those are the two extreme axes, in the middle, the emotional center point, which is a blend or a harmonization of the two extremes, is called tiferes. And Tiferes means beauty. And why is it beautiful? Because harmony is beautiful. It is the harmonization of these two extremes. Emotionally, Tiferes is Rachamim, compassion or pity. Why is compassion or pity a blend or harmonization of both extremes, of love and awe? Love says give. Give indiscriminately. Give just to give. So you're walking down the street and you're handing out $100 bills to anybody who walks past. Gvura, or self-restraint or self-containment, says don't give. In fact, that's why it's also sometimes called din, which means judgment, meaning to make a judgment and to say, I don't know if this guy's worthy. No, I'm not going to give. I don't know. Show me your tax forms. I don't know. 
Tiferes is the blend of both of those. I'm making a judgment. I'm making a judgment, so therefore it's similar to Gvura. I'm making a judgment that this person really needs some compassion right now. This person's situation is pitiful. This guy really needs the $100. In fact, instead of walking down the street and handing out 100 hundreds to just whatever random 100 people walk by, I'm going to take all 100 hundreds, what is that, $10,000, and I'm going to give it to the one guy who really needs it because he's about to get evicted. So that's why compassion is a blend or a harmonization of both love and awe. Of chesed and gvura. So are you <clears throat> chesed as love? Yeah, chesed is synonymous with love. Gvura is synonymous with awe or respect or withholding or judgment. And then tiferes is synonymous with compassion or pity. Okay. This chapter speaks a lot about compassion. So much so that you might get confused and think that that's the subject of the chapter, and it's not. It's using compassion as a tool to access love. And it makes it very clear at the end of the chapter, but I'm giving you a heads up at the beginning. The point of this meditation is to create an emotion. Yes, that's the point of every Hizbainanus is to create an emotion. It is not to create Rachamim. It is to use Rachamim to create Ahava. You follow? So we're going to talk a lot about Rachamim, about compassion. So much so that you might think that that was what we were trying to do, that we were, that was our goal, is to produce that rachamim. It's not. Rachamim's a tool here. Hmm. Isn't rachamim a, uh, an offshoot of ahava? No. Rachamim is not an offshoot of ahava. Really rachamim is just as much an offshoot of ahava as it is of, 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 of uh, tzimtzum and gvura and din, uh-huh. as we were explaining. Don't associate it more with Ava. No. It happens to be... Okay. So I'm going to tell you everything. There, there's going to be no surprises here. But it happens to be that sometimes when Ahava, when your love is inaccessible, you can access it through compassion. Sometimes it's easier to get yourself to pity someone than to love them. But by pitying them, you can bring yourself to love them. What does it mean to pity someone? What's compassion and what's Compassion and pity are synonymous in this context. And they both mean, in really simple terms, hmm, you're in a bad situation. I recognize that. I feel bad for you. That's all it means. I have compassion on your plight. I recognize you're in a tough situation. That's what it means. And that is Tiferes, because as we said, Chesed is indiscriminate giving, giving to everybody, whether they're worthy or not. Whether, if the guy's rich and you're still giving him, because you're just giving everybody. Gvura is the opposite. I'm giving no one. Nobody's worthy. Tiferes is, <clears throat> I'm making a judgment, a decision. I'm giving with, uh, ju- I'm giving judiciously, but I'm giving. So there's the judgment, which is like Gvura, but there's the giving, which is like Chesed. Yeah, but what's the point? There's there's also Gvura in Tiferes. 
Tiferes is not a mixture of love and awe. It's not like you take a little bit of uh, iced tea and a little bit of lemonade and you mix them together and you get the, what's it called? Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer. Very good. <laughs> the Tiferes is not the Arnold Palmer of Spheroes. It's its own thing. It's its own thing. It just happens to have qualities that are similar to two different opposites. But don't think of it as like you're mushing together these two opposites and this is what you end up with. I don't think of it as compassion, pity, feeling bad, because that can lead someone to chesed. I think of Tiferet as more judgment, more sensible. Well, it depends how you look at it. It's got both. It's got both. It just, I guess, right? It's like those optical illusions. What do you see? Is it... Uh, Right, the gold or the black. Okay, let's not start that. Okay. All right, let's just jump in. Pedig Memhei, chapter 45. There's another way to do mitzvahs for their own sake, meaning to have the proper motivation, to tap into the right, emo the, the right motivation, the right emotions, and that is by pursuing the path of Yankiv Avinu who is Rachmim. We have the three Oves, the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Abraham is the right side, Isaac is the left side, Jacob is the center. Okay, and how are we going to do it? And remember, I told you, the goal here is not to reach this emotion of Rachmim. The process is to use Rachmim. To arouse abundant mercy before God. So really we're trying to get Hashem to have mercy. Mercy on what? The godly spark that is enlivening your soul. Why does it evoke compassion, mercy, pity. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to explain the plight of this godly spark, otherwise known as your godly soul, which has come down here into embodiment, which is invested within your body, and it's a bag within a bag, double bagged. It is also invested within the animal soul. If you remember basic Tanya, we learned about godly soul, the animal soul. So they're not just like two guys on an even playing field, but rather the godly soul is invested within the animal soul, which in turn is invested within the body. Okay, we're going to describe now the plight of this poor little godly soul. And this is what we're going to be envisioning. But I'll, like I said, I'm going to try to go quickly through the chapter, and then we'll go back and we'll try to envision this at length. All right, so we have this godly spark. Asher yorid mim that came down from its source. What's its source? Chaye Chaimates of Baruch the life of all lives, the blessed, infinite one. So where did the godly spark come from? God. Yeah, high place, the source of all life. And it says about God, He is filling all worlds and He transcends all worlds. In other words, He cannot be contained by reality, but all reality is contained within Him. And nothing is significant before him because he is infinite, true, true infinity. 
And it comes down into the serpent's hide, the snake's skin. The, this is a term from Zayar, that's why it's Aramaic. It means the body. The body is called the snake's skin. You know a traumatic core memory of mine? I was on a nature walk when I was like four years old and I saw a snake in a tree. And then you know what I found out? It was a snake's skin in a tree. That's how, that's how they shed their skins. They like go up in the tree and they wind around the branch and then they ditch their old skin. But it looks like a whole snake. Ever seen that? Yeah, I mean, they shed their skin. And sometimes they shed, like, the whole skin all at once. Where was it? Yeah. In Chicago. You think I grew up in, like, Tucson, Arizona or something. No, then I would have been used to snakes. No, this was the scariest. I have two snake memories. Well, that was one of them. And the other one was when we, when we moved to the house that we moved to when I was three, there was a, a snake on our back porch. And I was terrified, and I pinned it down with a broom, and I screamed until my mother came out and chased <laughs> it away. Why do you have snakes? What? Snakes in Chicago. Snakes too. Snakes too. Just two snakes stories from my entire childhood. Maybe it was the same snake. Maybe it was the same snake. That is possible, but it was miles away. They were getting back at you. That was their retribution. Okay. So the body is called the snake's skin. The, the, the imagery is supposed to evoke some type of disdain, um, sort of loathing. Like, if you think about the, the soul and what a lofty entity it is, and then it's sort of trapped in this meat suit, it's, it's supposed to evoke a certain... It's supposed to be off-putting. That's, that's the point. Okay. And it's ultimately distanced from the light of the face of the king. In other words, it's down here in the physical world where godliness is super concealed. Because this world, the physical world, is... The ultimate and in coarse clippers. Clip is a term we learned more at length in chapter six. If you remember, clipper literally means the shell or the hide or the husk. And it means that which conceals the godly core that's in everything. So the physical world is a world of consummate concealment. The physical world is a is a plane of reality where we see creation rather than creator as opposed to the spiritual realms where you do see creation, but the creation is transparent to creator. So you don't have that coarse clipper, that opaque shell, so to speak. You understand the difference between an opaque shell and like say a translucent shell or even a transparent shell? Very good. Well, a klipas noiga is called the shiny shell and it's shining because it's translucent. It lets the godly spark shine through it. But something that is clippus gasis, which he calls here, which, which means coarse, thick clipper, that means it's opaque. It just, you look at the world and it really takes a lot of imagination and sensitivity to discern 
the godly spark that's animating it. Okay, so think about where the soul came from and now where it's gone to. Pretty big contrast, okay? Ubefrat, and then especially, now he's going to aggravate the situation. So just the fact that the soul came from where she came from, which we call the source of all lives, the, the, the blessed infinite one, and it came down to where it came down to, which we call the physical world, which is full of opaque hides and husks, which are concealing godliness. And then it gets even aggravated even more, exacerbated even more. Especially if you start reflecting on all of, I don't, make you, I don't want to make you cringe, but it's part of the meditation. All of your action and speech and thoughts since the day that you were born, which were not good. Now, this is not Musr. We're not here to make you feel bad about yourself. That's not the point. It's not the point. It's a meditation about God. It's going to bring you to more love of God. But there's a little part of the meditation, which some of you may find triggering, but I think you'll find it rewarding also if you give into it and you understand what it's for. But please don't get distracted and spiral and come back to me after class and be like, since that moment you said, think about all of your bad thoughts, speech, and action from your entire life, I couldn't stop thinking about that the whole time, and now I'm depressed. That's not the point. The point is... You're laughing, but someone who's doing it right now. Is it you? Who's doing it? Who's doing it? You're not doing it. Okay. I'm so grounded. You're grounded. My, okay. my thoughts okay. are not spiraling. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's the point? Remember the point. Let's always remember the point. We're trying to arouse love for Hashem. Uh, how are we going to do that? I said we're taking a little detour through Rachamim. Okay, right now, <clears throat> the Rachamim, who is the subject of our Rachamim? Who's, the, who's in a pitiful situation? The neshama, very good. Okay, and what's the pitiful situation? It left. It left. Yeah, the source. It came to nebuch. It came to embodiment. Okay, and now we're adding to that. We're saying not only did it come down to a tough situation, where all of its spiritual sensitivities are being covered up. Let's say overwhelmed by all the physical stimuli that's sort of just drowning out the spiritual stimuli. But also think about the exacerbating factor here that while you're in a body, maybe you did stuff that wasn't really very godly. And it's, think about the experience of the soul. How's the soul feeling during that? Not very good. What? But the point here is not about chuva. That's not the point. No, 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 no. The point here is I want you to feel bad for this little neshama. Feel bad for the soul, yeah. Yes, that's the point. She came from such a glorious place. She came down to such a rough place. And then, to top it all off, she got dragged along for some unpleasant activities, which she felt was very violating. Okay, that's, that's all we're asking. Just feel compassion on the plight of the soul. Okay. Now... Everyone's okay? Yeah. Okay. No. no? Typically, we're celebrating this descent because it's the holy... Yeah, but that's not the point so right hard, now. Because I'm saying that's yeah, but just... Holier. Yeah, well, we don't blow the shofar on Purim. <laughs> hmm? 
everything has its context. Just because something you're saying is true doesn't mean that that's always what we're thinking about all the time. Right now we have a, we have a, we're, we're doing, there's a process we're engaged in. And in order to engage in that process, we have to think about a, a very specific subject. And we're thinking about how painful it is for the soul to come down here. Now, you're going to come and tell me all the things you know from Chassidus about how awesome embodiment is, and that really Hashem wants it, and this is where He wants to be at home, and being in the body is, is worth it. You're right. But that's not the point right now. And in fact, it's very insensitive because right now we're trying to feel compassion for the soul. And this is like somebody coming in and be like, hold on a second. You try to make me feel bad for this little soul? Let me tell you why it's all worth it. It's all, the whole experience was really, was really for a greater good. And she's like, hold on a second. I thought, do I get a little compassion for even a second here? Like, so let's, let's just, yeah, let's just give space right now for compassion for the soul. Okay. Now. We're going to up the ante. Watch this. The king is bound in the gutters. is a, an expression from, I think it's from Mishle, from Shlema Melech. But the way the Zayar explains it is Rehite Meicha. Rehite Meicha is the flowings of the mind. The stream of consciousness is how I would translate it for the 20th century. I know this is the 21st century, but... <laughs> You're still back there. Yeah, well, that's where I'm influenced yeah. from. Yeah, my influence is a very 20th century. Um, is the flowing of the mind. In other words, the king is bound or captured in the flowing, in the gutter. It's a gutter. It's a flowing gutter. It's not like a picture yourself by a pleasant brook, babbling brook through the, through the woods. No, it's a, it's a flowing, sewage, open sewage gutter yeah, it's nasty. It's nasty. And yeah, 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 it is. It's nasty. And the king is being held down in this gutter. The king's in the gutter? The king's in the gutter. Is that like the garbage like pile that he spoke about? No, it's not where he was sitting. Oh, that's different. This is different. Okay. So who's the king? What's, what, what's the translation? Bettered by the Fettered by the tresses? By the By the impetuous thoughts of the brain. That's the yeah. official translation. Okay. Who's the king? Hashem. Hashem. Hold on a second. You told me the soul is being tortured through its embodiment. Because Jacob, which is the name of the Jewish people, is the rope of his, of God's inheritance. In other words, Hashem is connected to these souls like a rope, metaphorically. So what's happening here is it's not just the soul <clears throat> is being tortured, but the king, by extension, by association, is being tortured as well. 
and the visualization is the king is being held down in the gutter. The gutter is the flowing thoughts of the mind. The stream of consciousness where the mind is just going to all types of non-productive places. And the king is forced to come along for the ride. Wait, 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 wait. What happened to behavioral perfection versus thoughts in the mind? Just our thoughts can bring him to the garden. Okay, so first of all, it's a wonderful question, which proves that you actually learned Tanya, and that's very satisfying. As the person who spent a year and a half learning Tanya with you, I'm very happy that you say that. Okay. All right. So secondly... As you remember, <coughs> Makshova is one of the Levushe Nefesh. It's not just physical action, it's not even just oral speech, but even thought that is willful active thought. In other words, we made a distinction between the impulse for thought, like something just pops up on the screen and you're really not able to control the fact that it, you know, the intrusive thought that just pops up, as opposed to a willful train of thought where you're like, okay, I'm going to go with this. And that is a behavior. It's something that you do choose to do. You do exercise free choice. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about that when you allow yourself to delve into, again, the operative word is you allow yourself, there's free choice here, you allow yourself to delve into some type of unholy aspect of, of thought. So not only is the soul being dragged along for this not fun experience, but God is too, right? Like the metaphor of somebody who pulls on a rope. Oh, what does this do? Well, it's connected to the king. So you're pulling the king down. Okay. We're halfway through the chapter. It's a short chapter. And this is the mystical concept of Golas Hashchina. What does it mean that Hashem's presence is in Golas, is in exile? It means that Hashem invests himself into you, and you are in exile, meaning you're in a spiritually not healthy situation. So he, by extension, is also in that situation. And regarding this, it says, the Yashiv El Hashem Return to Hashem, and he will have compassion on you. What does that mean? To arouse abundant mercy upon the name of Hashem which is dwelling within us. Like it says, Hashem dwells with the Jewish people even in their state of impurity. And this is what it means. Yankiv kissed Rachel and lifted his voice and cried. Everyone knows this story. Yankov meets his cousin Rachel for the first time at the well. And Yankov kisses her, he lifts his voice, and he cries. There are many explanations. What was going on there? It's a funny story. If you want to know the simple meaning of the story, you can go learn Rashi and the other Mephorshim. But Kabbalistically, what is going on there? Yankov is... In Sphirois, you know, because we said it at the beginning of the chapter. Tiferes, very good, right? Because you have three Aves, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yankiv. You have Chesed, Gvura, Tiferes. Yankiv is Tiferes, which is Rachmim. He is the embodiment of divine compassion. Rachel <coughs> is Malchus. Malchus is the feminine Sphira, or one of the feminine, actually, Leah and Rachel are the higher hay and the lower hay. That's what it means, the 
the Ketana and the Gedela, the small hay and the big hay, the higher hay and the lower hay. Leia is Bina and uh, Rachel is Malchus. But at any rate, Malchus is also considered to be the bank or repository of the Neshamas. So, Ki Rochel Hi Knesset Yisrael. Knesset Yisrael means the congregation of Israel, which means the place where the souls hang out before they come down here. Mokar Kol Neshamas, the source of all the souls. The Yankiv Bimidasehalyena, Yankiv in his spiritual attribute, Shihimidasarachim Shabatzilas, is Hashem's attribute of Rachim in the highest world, the world of Atzilas. Hu Hamaira Rachim Rabim Aleha, he arouses abundant compassion upon her. So he is Hashem's mercy. She is the source of the Jewish souls. He arouses compassion upon her. He lifted up his voice, that means to reach the source of supernal compassion. Which is called the merciful father, or the father of compassion. Meaning it's even higher than Rachamim of Atzilos. And he cries, in order to draw down compassion upon the souls. To lift them up from their exile. And to put them into a state of reunification and oneness with Hashem in a manner that is described Kabbalistically as kisses. Shehi is dabkus rucha barucha, which is the cleaving of breath to breath. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. That is Shleim HaMelech in Shir HaShirim. And he's describing our desire for Hashem to kiss us with the kisses of his mouth. The Hainu, which means his kashus dibra adam bidvar Hashem halach zu halacha v'chein machshava machshava. It means mouth to mouth means that Hashem's words, Hashem's speech, meaning Torah, should be on my mouth or in my mouth. So when I am speaking words of Torah, it is a connection of breath to breath, of mouth to mouth, me to Hashem. And not only connecting mouth to mouth, but also connecting thought to thought, thinking the thoughts that Hashem would have me think, and also my behaviors, my actions to His actions, which means the actions of the mitzvahs, especially actions that are acts of charity and kindness. In other words, the compassion, the crying that Yankiv engages in, lifts up Rachel, meaning the source of the souls, out of her state of exile and disconnection, back to a state of intimate union with her source, with Hashem, which is described as kissing, which in practical terms means when we're engaged in speaking words of Torah, that's like we put our mouth on Hashem's mouth, so to speak, and I don't don't think this group needs a lot of uh, disclaimers about anthropomorphisms in Torah, right? Can we... Or we can move on? Okay, great. Um, so that's the, that's the story. That here's this sad plight of this soul that came from such a glorious place of godly revelation, came down to such a nasty place called the physical world. That situation was further exacerbated by all the poor choices that we were making, don't get triggered. And then there's this 
Oh no, what a pitiful story. This is terrible. And that triggers the compassion of the Avarachamim, the compassionate father, and she's lifted up out of her plight and brought into a wondrous state of intimate reunion with God. The Chesedre Yamina. And why specifically <coughs> our acts of kindness, that which brings us reunion with God? Chesed is the right arm. And that's the hug. Quoted before Shlomo Melech saying, he should kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And it continues, and his right hand should embrace me. Why the right hand? Why not the left hand? The right hand is chesed. So when I do, when I use my body to do acts of kindness, it's like my right hand is matching, so to speak, or mirroring, so to speak, Hashem's right hand, so to speak, and that's the hug. Yeah. Does that correspond to the right ventricle also? Mm, probably in some way, but yeah. What chapter is that? Early. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Maybe the, three. Um, I think the first place it comes up is in chapter one. Wow. I yeah. said early. Yeah, you were right. She's yeah, right. early. Okay. Now we're describing this reunion where you're learning a lot of Torah and you're speaking it with your mouth and you're thinking about it deeply in your mind. That's the kisses, again. Okay, now here's the punchline. Through this, through this, so what do we just do? We just did this whole story about compassion. Through this, we can reach a level of abundant love in a revealed way. How so? Because it says, Yankiv who redeemed Avraham. You're looking in the English? Where's the Pasuk from? Look at the footnote. Yeah, it's a Pasuk from Yeshaya? Are you sure? Which, which, which chapter and verse? Chapter 29, verse 22. 29, 22. Yeshai 29, 22. Anyways, there's this expression in the Navi. Yankiv, Jacob, who redeemed Avram, who, who redeemed Abraham. There's no actual story about Jacob redeeming Abraham. That's not what it's saying. It's saying Jacob, who represents Rachmim redeemed, released from an inaccessibility of Raham who represents love. That sometimes when you can't directly access the love, you can take a detour and use the compassion to get you back in touch with the love. Commission is like it's explained elsewhere. That's the end of the chapter. So let me fill it in because he says it very quickly at the end. The, the result of the meditation is love. The process of the meditation is rachmim, is compassion. That through arousing compassion on the plight of my soul, and by extension on Hashem himself, who is connected to this whole situation, I come to experience love of Hashem. 
So the end result, the end goal, is it should put me in touch with more love of Hashem. Even though he's the one that... Created the situation. Yes, that's true. That's true. And we could talk about that, and it's a worthy discussion. But in this context, where we've already decided, we, it's like we're coming to the gym, and the trainer's like, okay, here's where I want you to work out. I want you to do 20 reps on this machine. And we could discuss why we're even in a situation, why we're at the gym, and should we even be here, and we can have that discussion. But, you know, it's probably just better if the trainer says, this is, this is the workout we're doing, so this is the workout, and it's going to have certain results. And that's, that's really what we're here for, to get those results. So the results are that it's going to create more love of Hashem. Yeah. Hmm? Yes, of course we could answer it. Of course we could answer it. But, but here's why I, I don't want to get into that, not only because in interest of time and also because I don't want to confuse people, but why I, don't, why I don't want to talk about that is the same reason that, you know, when you said, well, how terrible is it for the soul to come down here? And the end of the, at the end of the day, that's its whole purpose. And it's like, yeah, you're right, but hold on a second. That's not the point right now. And so when you bring in this concept here of, well, you know, is Hashem doing a bad thing to us? Really? No. It's it's Yerida Litzayda Haliyah. It's a descent for the sake of subsequent greater ascent. It's really a beautiful thing. Well, I know it's a beautiful thing, but now you just sort of undercut the ability to do this compassion exercise. So, yeah. when we learned about chapter 45, the emphasis was on pathos and tragedy. So, why weren't we spinning it differently? That's the same thing. The, the pity of the soul is a pathetic situation. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Yeah. Meaning it comes from a high place and takes a great fall. Okay, at any rate, so that's the chapter. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. What? You said that the like it ends with love, but when did you do that? Like you were talking about compassion and feeling for the soul, but in my mind I don't now I don't feel love all of a sudden. Well, cuz you didn't do the meditation. It does happen organically. It happens organically. You just didn't do it. You learned it. So that's why I said, let's go through the chapter quickly, and then let's actually do it. Okay? Because at the end, you'll tell me whether it evokes any love in you. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to think about the soul. I'm going to do this kind of quickly, so we're going to take some shortcuts here. When you think about the soul... Look, it's very hard to think about a soul, but just think about an entity which has pure God consciousness. It knows nothing but the reality and truth that God is real, God is everything. It's not in any way troubled by any type of philosophical questions. It has a very, very clear understanding of reality and that reality is is just pure godliness and that situation is profoundly pleasurable as well and it's hanging out in this state which is timeless because it's in the spiritual realms <clears throat> and it's very comfortable obviously it's like a fish being in water for a soul to be in heaven 
for a soul to bask in the rays of godly revelation is the most natural thing, the most comfortable thing. And <clears throat> one day, he gets a tap on the shoulder and they say, put on a parachute, you're jumping. And it comes down to a body. And immediately, it feels incredibly stifled. It feels like it's being constricted. Both the input and the output. It can't see what it used to see anymore. It's all covered up. All of its spiritual sensitivity is being drowned out by... You know, imagine you're trying to hear a very, very, very important conversation. Life-changing information. But it's being spoken in a whisper in the next room. In the meantime, in the room that you're sitting in, there are a hundred radios playing different channels at full blast. Think about that pain. If you have sensory issues like me, you know, I didn't, it doesn't even have to be a hundred radios, it could just be being in a public place. Yeah. See the sacrifice that I undergo just <laughs> coming out here? But you guys are pretty good about being calm, so I appreciate it. Um, so, but by the way, the little soul is dealing with like real sensory issues because she's plunged into this world of this overstimulation. All the, the physical stimuli, the sights and the sounds and the smells and everything, and it's not what she wants. She just wants to be purely connected to unmitigated God consciousness the way she was for eternity. And now that's all being covered up and it's very frustrating it's very frustrating okay so we're feeling the feeling we should be feeling now is compassion it's a very frustrating situation for this poor little neshama and maybe even in this physical world she sees things that are scary like people who do things that go against Hashem's plan for this world and that's very frightening and now, okay, get ready. You can handle it. The host body that this soul is trapped in starts doing stuff that the soul's very uncomfortable with. Whether it's actions or speech or even just thought. In some ways, thought can be the greatest torture for the soul because thought is the most intimate. And action is the most extraneous, is the most external. But thoughts going on inside of you, and that's where the soul is. It's inside of you. So she's being exposed to this movie, and she doesn't want to be there, and she can't close her eyes. It's not comfortable for her, okay? So we're feeling compassion for this beautiful spiritual entity that's being subjected to this really painful, scary experience. All right. And now we're going to up the ante. We're going to reflect on the fact that this soul, even down here, is tethered, is anchored in God himself. And as it were, by extension, he is experiencing everything that the soul is experiencing. He is undergoing this pain. And this is called Golas Hashchina, the exile of God's presence. He is experiencing the frustration and the, 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 the distraction and the 
the fright of being in such a, a world where godliness is not obvious and clear. And this is a very, very painful situation. And our natural response should be that of compassion. This is pitiful. Okay. And now we think about that there is a, there's a way out. There is a way out. There is a way to relieve the, the pain and to bring the soul back to oneness with its source. And that is what we call the kisses and the hugs, which is Torah and mitzvahs. The kisses is the mouth-to-mouth speaking Hashem's words. That's Torah. The hug is the body-to-body being Hashem's body, being using your body to do His actions. His hand becomes your hand when you give tzedakah, when you engage in kindness. And we're thinking about this feeling of reunion and the possibility of reunion and the accessibility of it, that it's really accessible, that there's nothing really preventing us. As, as awful as the situation is that we were just describing it, and yet nothing can really stop us. It's not like, you know, go become rich. Well, I don't have control over that. Go become tall. I, I, don't, I don't have control over that. But learn Torah, do mitzvahs. You can do that anytime, anywhere, even under the worst conditions. Nobody can stop you from that. So we have this ability now to remove this whole terrible situation that was so tragic, and we can make it all go away. We can heal the whole situation by returning to Hashem through Torah and mitzvahs. Now the feeling that you should be feeling right now even though you may disagree with this categorization, is love. And you're going to say, mm, I'm not sure it's love. Well, I can't promise you what you're feeling right now, but let me tell you what it might be, and let me tell you why, if that's what you're feeling, it's actually love. And maybe this is a better definition of love than what we're used to. If you're feeling right now a motivation to be closer to Hashem. If you're feeling like, you know what? There's a problem. It needs a solution. Wow, I have that solution. I want to go and engage in that solution. That's called motivation. It's pushing you. It's compelling you in a direction. That's, that's what an emotion does. An emotion is a, an engine that pushes us in a direction. Well, think about it. It's not to go away from Hashem. And by going away from Hashem, I don't mean, God forbid, in rebellion. I mean, sometimes in reverence, we shrink away from Hashem in in awe. We make ourselves smaller. But this isn't backing away in reverence. This is getting closer. I mean, it's described literally as kissing and hugging. So it's real closeness here. Well, what do you think love is? Love is a feeling of motivation 
to seek out closeness. So how did we come to that place of feeling motivation to seek out closeness? We came to it through a side door called compassion. We told the story of the plight of the soul, which by extension ultimately is the plight of Hashem Himself. And then we arrived at the feeling of the possibility of closeness. That's, that's the love.